today on The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. So here we have the three people most instrumental in ushering us in to the Roe versus Wade area that are now confessing, professing Christians. I mean, I'm talking about back eight years ago that were confessing, professing Christians doing everything everything they could to undo this horrible law. And you ask the question, well, what changed all three of them? What changed all three of them was Jesus. That was it. Welcome to The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. Dr. Camp has survived a life of drug and alcohol abuse and incarceration. Since giving his life to Christ, he has been a pastor, evangelist, author, college professor, and dean of students. He has also been a program guest with the Billy Graham Crusade. Dr. Camp's unique blend of life experiences have given him a powerful, relevant ministry to reach the unreachable with the message of Christ. Now, let's listen as Dr. Camp starts the conversation with Reverend Flip Benham, former director of Operation Rescue. Good morning. Welcome to The Conversation. This is Scott Camp, and I'm joined via phone line uh, by my dear friend for many, many years, former director of Operation Rescue, an advocate for the lives of the unborn, a prophet of God to our nation, Reverend Flip Benham. Flip, thank you for joining me today. Well, Scott, it's an honor to be with you again. <laughs> Flip, how how did you develop such a passion for uh, the unborn, the pre-born, for, for children in their mother's womb, and the whole abortion, uh, you know, holocaust that we've been going through for decades as a nation. How did that happen in your life? Well, what happened is first I met Jesus when I was 27 years old, owned a saloon in Kissimmee, Florida. God saved me mm. out of that, saved my wife, Faye. I uh, saved my two boys that I wanted Faye to abort, and uh, and saved my daughter. This Jesus that I know that that, that would take a wretch like me and save me uh, took me through school. I began to, you know, I took an Old Testament, New Testament survey course in a little small little college in Florida, and and then went on to seminary, and uh, and then uh, out of seminary came to Garland, Texas, to begin a church for the Free Methodist Church, and pastored that church for 12 years, and then ultimately became a director of, uh, of Operation Rescue, uh, where we would lie down at abortion mill doors and, and uh, you know, just do what Jesus did. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, and that's what we do, and, and uh, many of us were arrested, and, and, uh, and it's, just, it's just grown like that. You know, God has given me something to do, but when I realized that abortion was preeminently a gospel issue, before it's political, before it's anything else, it's a gospel issue. It's really an issue over who is Lord and whose laws reign. And uh, and that's what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the issue of abortion. And when Bill Gothard shared uh, something in the Kenosis passage in Philippians uh, chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, Kenosis, Kanao is the emptying. Where, where, and he asked a simple question. He asked, at what point in, in, uh, in time did God, the Word, become flesh on this planet? At what point in time was that? And when you go to the Kanao passage, that Kenosis passage in Philippians 2, 6 through 11, you, you begin to see that that was at conception 
I mean, all of God was here, and he emptied himself at conception, which means that that child in the womb is a living human being, that God was here with us fully nine months before we saw him in Bethlehem. And as a matter of fact, we know that that was a living human being in God himself, because when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, I mean, third trimester John leapt in the womb at the coming of first trimester Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything just came together for me. And I realized that if I'm going to love God with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, and love my neighbor as myself, these little baby boys and girls in their mother's wombs are living human beings, and we need to be a voice and to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. You know, Flip, I think that the overwhelming majority of evangelicals today understand that, and much of it is because of men like yourself, uh, the late Dr. Falwell, the late uh, Francis Schaeffer, Bill Gothard, as you mentioned, who have helped us understand this. Early on, In 1972, when uh, Roe v. Wade became law and it opened up the door for what would become abortion on demand, many Christians, even conservative Christians, didn't really understand the issue. What do you think uh, turned the tide? Do you think that because of our technology now, we, we understand what's going on even in the physical development of that baby in the womb? What is it, do you think, that has turned the tide in in opinion among evangelicals about the horror of abortion? Well, you need to remember now, back in in the day, when I was going through seminary, I thought abortion was all right. Mm. And this is back, I you know, I was three and a half years in seminary, from 77 to, to 80, and, and I... Uh, stood up for uh, the life of the unborn. They have. They've folded in a ton of other areas, yes. but they have certainly stood strong there. And uh, and we evangelicals, well, we were really good. We were getting people so saved that they didn't need to do anything else. Mm. <laughs> so, so they so didn't we, see really the kingdom of God. We that did the, not. That the kingdom of God is the kingdom that 
consist of righteousness and justice and who uh, needs justice more than the the children who can't speak for themselves amen and that's a really good that's a that's a perfect way to say it scott that is exactly when i realized it was a gospel issue i joined in i was caught i i mean god brought me in that kenosis passage in philippians 2 6 through 11 i knew that I had to be a voice. So that's what happened to me. That was the driving thing. See, Scott, I'm not going to get involved in anything that that isn't gospel first mm. and, and the advancing of the kingdom of God. You know, we call our little church here, a little homeschool church here, Kerygma. There are two words for gospel. One is the euangelon, the evangel, which is, you know, Christ, uh, you know, emptied himself. He came to this earth, he died on a cross, he paid for my sins, he was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities, and Jesus saved me. This one saved me. As I realized that I was dealing with a gospel issue, I knew that I had to take this kingdom, kerygma, this is the other word for gospel, kerygma, or comes from the Greek root word, caruso, that you know, I've heard you preach. To preach, yes, proclaim. Yeah, to, to, yeah, to herald it with gravity, yes. that there is another king, and that his name is Jesus. Whether you agree with that or not, it is objectively, empirically true, and I'm here to proclaim that, and not only proclaim that, but to live it here. Now, if it costs my life, it costs my life. It costs Jesus his, but he was faithful to allow the Word of God to become flesh. This is what's happening in the Church, in the evangelical Church today, is she is beginning to allow the theology of heaven to become biography right in the streets of our city. Mm. And we are winning these battles uh, way beneath the radar of ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News, between, uh, you know, beneath all of that, the battle for the lives of little baby boys and girls is being won over and over again, faithful little things. This battle is being won, and the heart of this nation is beginning to change. It is. I see that. And I want to talk um, uh, with you a, a little bit more as we talk about the possibility in our own lifetime of really seeing Roe v. Wade overturned and, and made right. But before we do that, uh, you had a relationship uh, with Jane Roe, with Norma McCorvey. I was looking back through some old pictures, uh, Flip, the other day, and I came across a picture of you baptizing Jane Rowe in the backyard of uh, a member of Metro Church, the church I pastored in Garland that you were an elder at for years. And our listeners don't know that, but you and I go way, way back and you helped us start a a wonderful, powerful church. But will you tell our listeners about Norma's life? (laughs) Well, I will, Scott, because, you know, she was in your church a number of times and, uh, you know, she was a messed up young lady who never had an abortion, although she was looking for one when she uh, uh, contacted Sarah Weddington and Linda Coffey. These were the two attorneys that were looking for uh, a signator to be on a class action suit. So Norma uh, never was, actually had an abortion? Never. Never. Not one. But she was a drug addicted. She was in a homosexual relationship. She was attempted to take her life on several occasions, and she wrote a book uh, called I Am Roe. And this was a year before she met the Lord. This book came out, and uh, she was on McKinney Avenue 
and she was in one of those little bistros there. And the police were all out there, and she was. This was her big book signing in Dallas, Texas. And uh, and so we, I went down there. The police kept me away, said you can't go over there. And I said, okay, I'll just stand on this side of the street, but I'm going to say something. And I did. I said, Norma McCorvey. I just cried out, Norma McCorvey. As a result of what you have done, over 27 million little baby boys and girls. That was how many were killed back there at that time. 27 million little baby boys and girls are dead. And, and I saw, no, I just, I just visibly saw those words just come right upon her. And, and then I noticed she got up and left, and, and I, that, that was the end of that conversation. She hated me. She would leave messages on her answering machine, you know, and, and we moved our offices right next to her abortion mill, um, a choice for a woman. So she was and, running an abortion clinic. Yeah. Yeah, and was. you put the the headquarters of uh, Operation Rescue next to her abortion clinic. Yeah, so you saw her every day. Becoming biography of the street. She was fit to be tied. And, and believe me, in that parking lot, Scott, you've seen that parking oh, lot. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Greenville Avenue. It was on Markville Avenue. And, and, she, and, and there were satellite trucks there, and it was a media circus. I mean, every day we had people, media over there saying, you know, Roe meets rescue, there's going to be violence. And indeed there was, but it was a violence of the heart. You know, mm. the kingdom of heaven advances violently, and violent men apprehend it. And this, this, this kingdom of God began to work in her. As we were next to her, as she began to talk with us, she would start coming over, and instead of spitting in our faces all of the filthy, foul, vile language that she had, she would come over and say, would you pray for me? Wow. I mean, it was just an amazing thing. God was breaking down walls that had built up for years in her life, and she was beginning to realize that there's no pit so deep that Jesus isn't a whole lot deeper still, and that he is the one that she's been longing for. And one Saturday morning, I can remember walking into the office, and it was really early, and Norma was there. And I looked at her, and I said, Miss Norma, Miss Norma, what are we going to do? And she looked at me, and she, she said, I don't know. And I said, come on over, and we'll sit down. And we sat down in a little iron chair <laughs> right outside of that abortion mill. And I said, Miss Norma, I want to apologize to you for speaking those words to you. Uh, when I was on McKinney Street, she said, you have no idea what happened to me then. I said, what, what do you mean? I, 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 I just want to apologize to you. for." She said, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I heard what you said. And it felt like this thing came on me, and it was just so oppressive and heavy. I couldn't breathe. I had to get away. I said, what did you do? And she said, I just left. I didn't sign a book. I did nothing. I just left. And I said, I want to tell you that I know that those words hurt you, and I'm sorry that I hurt you. And she started, I could see the tears just flood in her eyes. And she said, and I said, do you know what, Miss Norma? Do you know that God is pro-choice? And she said, no. And I said, oh, yeah. And I took her to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19. She was live. (laughs) Yeah, and it just says, says, you know, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Wow. And she said, oh. And and that was the end of the conversation. She went inside, and now I found out later that she went inside, and she just cried her eyes out. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, and and you know what she did? She gave me a, her book of ruins. It's witchcraft, you know, where you're throwing stones down, trying to figure out what the devil's going to have you do tomorrow. And 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 I gave her a Bible, and then she had this talisman around her neck, some some witchcrafty thing. And we had. Do you remember Curtis in church that that, that would that was make the jewelry and stuff oh, like sure. that? Oh, sure, Curtis Schutze. Yeah, Curtis. Yeah. Said Curtis, can you do something with this and make it really great and make a cross out of this? Wow! Then we're going to put on the on the on the back of it Deuteronomy chapter thirty verses nineteen and twenty, and uh, and and you know he did that. Now she gave her heart to Christ. I had the privilege of baptizing yes, her. Yes, I was on there. August eighth, nineteen ninety five. Scott, I'm just telling you, we saw right there the her is, life changed this, dra- dramatically. When you see her there, it's like, you know, 35 miles of really, really bad road is wiped off of her face, and she's like a brand-new creation, which, of course, she was. I'm going to put that uh, that picture up for our listeners to, to see, because it's just a beautiful, beautiful transformation of what the Holy Spirit did in her life. And, of course, she's in heaven now, Flip. Did you were you able to maintain relationship with her through the years? Did you hear yes, from her? Yes, yes, yes. And and I, as a matter of fact, I even got to speak at her home going, and uh, had a had a had a just a, a really special time meeting with so many of the old folks that came down to Houston, Texas. That's where uh, she was, and and, uh, and where she her body is buried. But this girl is alive and well, and she's with uh, you know. Uh, remember. Roe versus Wade, there was a companion case to Roe versus Wade, and that was Doe versus Bolton. That was Sandra Kano. So, so Sandra Kano was a marvelous young lady who gave her heart to Christ. Mm. And, and, so, and, and then another one was Dr. Bernard Nathanson. He was the founder of NARAL. Yes, I remember. Yeah, and, and he gave his heart to Christ. So here we have the three people most instrumental in ushering us in to the Roe versus Wade area, that are now confessing, professing Christians. I mean, I'm talking about back eight years ago that were confessing, professing Christians, doing everything, everything they could to undo this horrible law. And we, what, and you ask the question, well, what changed all three of them? What changed all three of them was Jesus. Mm-hmm. That was it. Just flat out Jesus. He did that. Now, how he did that, how he did all of those things and put it together and orchestrate that, I know not. I simply know that's what he does all the time. That's what he did in me. And then everything changes, although nothing is different. Mm. Everything becomes... And her life was totally transformed. Same with Dr. Bernard Nathanson. Same with Sandra Kano. And this is this is when we realize that we have a gospel that is so powerful, we begin to think of something else. That You know what? It's not up to those at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, no matter who we elected president, as president to do that, or who we, how we pack the Supreme Court, or who we get into the legislative halls, although we need to work for them, and we do. But, but really, abortion will come to an end in America when the Church of Jesus Christ makes up her mind it will come to an end, yes. and not one Amen. second sooner. Flip, let me ask you. Now, you have paid a great price. I, when I think about you, I think about Dr. King, I think about other great prophets of God who 
you've been arrested numerous times. I, I've been there on the scene when that's happened. And uh, you've been willing to literally lay your life down to see this slaughter of the innocent come to an end. And, you know, Flip, to be honest with you, I, I, I didn't have the faith to believe that it could ever be different that the church would ever rise up. But it looks like this is really going to happen. What do you think about this? Do, do you believe that we could see Roe v. Wade overturned in our lifetime? And the answer to that is, of course I do. And let me just give you some, just a, just a couple of statistics. Uh, in 1991, which was the real zenith of the pro-choice movement back in 1991, I mean, they, they were hitting on all cylinders, and they were going to elect Bill Clinton. He was going to become president of the United States of America. At that time, there were over 2,600 freestanding abortion notes in this country. 2,600. And... And the number of abortions just kept rising and rising. But in in 1992, what you see is a, the beginning of a drop. That's and I'm, I'm telling you, that's when William Jefferson Clinton becomes president of the United States of America. Well, it was 1993, but when he becomes president of the United States of America, the number of abortions starts to go down, and it's continued to go down ever since. Every single year, the number of abortions, the number of abortion mills, freestanding abortion mills in this country, the number of freestanding abortion mills is 586. Wow. Now, it was 2,600, but now, you know, back there in 1991, 2, and 3, that was, it was 2,600. But here we are, and we see that this number is now under 600. What's happening? How come 40% of the abortionists have stopped? doing abortions. What is, what's happening? Well, how is it that the number of abortions have dropped to the lowest levels as they have been since 1976? How, how did, what is going on? And what is going on is simple little Christians are living out their faith. Of course, the technology and the personhood of this little uh, baby boy or girl in the womb is becoming very visible as the technology advances. We get the 3D ultrasounds and and, and amazing things. But now, like in, here in, in the city of Charlotte, we have three abortion mills, three. Um, and uh, and we have, uh, uh, like uh, this, the end of November or the beginning of December, I'm not sure which, we'll have about five or 6,000 people out there at one abortion mill. We have pastors from churches that are gathering out there. The theology is moving out into the streets. The theology of the church house is becoming biography in the streets. And God is showing up. And this is our active repentance of being a voice for these children. We're realizing that there are things that we can do. And God is showing up. You know, Scott, when we started in Dallas, Texas, where you are, when we started, there were 13 abortion mills in the city of Dallas, Texas. Now there are three. Praise and this God. is happening all over the country. But again, it's not reported. But it's happening. You we're know, Flip, many of these abortion clinics... I think the thing that's devastating to me is that they're in some of the poorest sections dominated by our brothers and sisters of color, our African-American friends that we love so much. And really, this is a genocide of African-Americans. You're absolutely right, Scott. The statistic is that one third of all abortions are black. 
and 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 just and that's only nineteen percent of our population. So you you you. So they're preying on the 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 people who are the marginalized of society. Absolutely, and that was Margaret Sanger's. That was her whole precept: is we're going to eliminate these useless eaters. And of course, she's talking about the blacks, mm. and she's talking about our African. African-American brothers and sisters, and she wanted them eliminated. She was a part of the Ku Klux Klan. She spoke at many Klan meetings. Now, Margaret Sanger, of course, is the founder of Planned Parenthood. Our government gives to Planned Parenthood $500 million a year. If they didn't have the funding of the federal government, we this battle would be won. I'm just telling you, it's going to we're going to win it. So, so Scott, what I see is the hope that we have is the Church of Jesus Christ to rise up and be who she is. And when we stop sowing bloodshed in the womb, and, and of course, we're reaping it in the streets. I mean, blood is coursing down the quarters of our schools. Because life is streets. cheapened. It, totally. And abortion is that first thing. And abortion is a devil's tool. He's always after the kids to get those arrows. Mm. And if he can kill them and extinguish them, he will. Just remember Pharaoh wanting to throw all the boys, you know, and drown them in the Nile. Just look at Herod coming after the kids just to destroy. This is, this is what the devil does. And abortion is his first plan to kill. And then if he doesn't get that, then his next plan is to waylay and detour them so they won't fulfill the purpose for their lives, which is the storm against the gates of hell where they don't, they do not prevail. And Flip, you're seeing that with uh, your entire family who we love so much, all the kids. But at the beginning, you mentioned uh, Jason and David. And uh, many of our listeners know the Benham brothers and have followed their career and some of the difficulty that they've been through as a result of taking a stand for Christ. They've written a, a new book. It's wonderful. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but catch us up. I know you're proud of all your kids, as you should be. Tell us what's going on with David and Jason. Well, they're off in Joplin, Missouri uh, tonight, but they just came back in from the Value Voter Summit, where Mitch McConnell, they were sitting with Mitch McConnell in the, in the green room, and Mitch McConnell promised them, he said, boys, this next week, we're going to take a vote on Brett Kavanaugh. It, it, so it, in order for him to fulfill that promise, they'd better take that vote tomorrow. Do you Friday. see a political future for David and Jason? Are they? I know they're in the real estate business. They're authors now. They're doing some media. Uh, my friend Jerry Johnson just had them at the NRB. Uh, but what, what are, they, are they called to be involved politically? Uh, yeah, you know what? They're very involved. But here's what they tell me: They say, "Dad, listen, for me to be a congressman, or you know, to, you know, to somehow to run like that." He says, "Dad, we have all the congressmen. They're sitting and listening to us. It's not if if, I, if we step down off this platform that God has given to us now. We, I mean, we it we would have be a demotion." Pardon me? It would be a kind of a demotion for them. Yeah, it would. At this point, that's the way they're thinking. So politically, but we work hard, uh, you know, and believe me, we do, uh, on all areas, you know, and that means taking the gospel right in, uh, you know, to the gates of our city and into Washington, D.C., to drain that swamp. And it's a mess, and Republicans are our biggest enemy, really, 
they they seek our vote. They they love, you know. They 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 sing the same songs that we do. They go to the same places. Go to our churches, but they don't stand for whatever reason. Once they get elected, something happens to them in Washington D.C. So you and I, although we're not, Martin Luther King said it this way: we're not to be the master of the state, nor are we to be its slave, but we are to be its conscience. Its conscience. Flip, thank you for giving your life to be the conscience, to be a prophet of God, both to the church and to the nation. Thank you for our friendship over the years. Our listeners need to know that uh, your wife, Faye, has recently gone to heaven. And uh, what a wonderful, wonderful woman of God. She was and is, and we'll see her again. And Flip, we love you. We respect you. And we're praying for you and thank you for the sacrifices that you've made on behalf of the kingdom of God and on behalf of those who could not speak for themselves. You have spoken for them to us, and we thank you. Yeah, well, thank you, brother. I love you right back, and I just thank God for the privilege of doing what I am doing now and that you're doing what you're doing. This is Scott Camp. My guest has been Flip Benham former National Director of Operation Rescue. You're listening to The Conversation. Join us in the morning and we'll talk again. God bless you. You have been listening to The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. Today's guest was Reverend Flip Benham, former Director of Operation Rescue. To get a copy of Dr. Camp's book, A Primer on Power, or to partner with Dr. Camp, you can go to scottcamp.org. Thank you for listening to The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. Please tune in again tomorrow morning at 730 for a new conversation.